1: I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we are more horrifying than a horror movie, apparently. (laughs) I am. I am. You're fine. Oh, just you. Just (laughs) Just me. Sorry, I get that mixed up. (laughs) I am Karen Peterson, joined by the terrifying Lauren
0: Humphries-Brooks hello actually my twitter handle this month is lhb the dreadfully loathsome so i was <laughs> like oh okay i mean there are apparently a couple of film bros who feel this way about me it's... Oh. i'm sorry guys yeah, I like i i'm sorry i just dis- i probably disagreed with you at some point in the past and may have called you a dumb uh, a dumb person so that that's on me calling you dumb i should not have done that but everything else like come
1: on i mean if someone's gonna <laughs> be a dumb fuck you should be allowed to call them that but apparently by doing so you are absolutely terrifying and worth gossiping about forever so congratulations you've made it
0: i i really have obviously i only i i'm like i do not have enough clout to to be hated like
1: seriously (laughs) seriously i just like talk shit on twitter come on like go find someone better to hate yeah better because you're awesome but i mean i know (laughs) but someone more deserving i I
0: did have someone say just like you're really impressed with yourself and my immediate reaction was like well i am very impressive (laughs) so that's true (laughs) um yeah i i i don't know i've i've learned that there are a couple of film bros who really really dislike me one of whom i actually like have known in the past i don't know who the other one is um, although I have a feeling that this is probably someone I came across like a while ago and has just apparently decided that I'm, I'm worth like just talking shit
1: about. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's fun. Well, congratulations. You have Thank arrived. You. <laughs> so there you go. All right. So, uh, this is episode 176, um, i realized a while back we stopped saying the episode numbers and then when i'm editing i get really confused (laughs) like what number are we on um anyway so uh we it's it's october and we are excited to talk more about horror movies because even though this isn't a horror podcast i think it's pretty clear that that is definitely up there in terms of our favorite genres so that's what we're talking about in the month of october
0: Yay! And,
1: yeah, I know, I'm excited. So, um, I think let's start off with, well, before we get to that, we have, um, there's something that came up this week that we wanted to talk about, and then we'll get into talking horror movies. And that is an article, well, we're referencing specifically an article from IndieWire, but this is news that was kind of, because they had the exclusive, but this is news that hit all over a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. which is that... Um, a pitchapong? Uh, did I say that wrong? A pitchapong.
0: Verusethical.
1: Verusethical. Yeah. Uh, he's a Thai filmmaker, and he has a new film coming called *Memoria*. And, in fact, I believe—let me let me double check—but I believe that this might be Thailand's, um submission to the oscars i wouldn't be
0: surprised yeah i mean he he's a great filmmaker i think i i want to say that i've seen a number of his films not all of them i think i've seen um what uncle Boone me and um and one other so i'm mm-hmm. not like a scholar on this dude but he he is a great filmmaker definitely
1: yeah okay it looks like they haven't actually submitted yet but it's probably on their short list anyway regardless um so what's happening is Neon is the distributor they've picked it up. This is actually not from Thailand, it's Colombia. So that was why I was not able to find it. So I think it's Colombia's submission or it's on their list. Um anyway. Uh it is it stars Tilda Swinton and what they're going to be doing is instead of doing a traditional theatrical release they are basically taking it on tour like a rock band and it's going to go city by city. It'll play for a week or so and only one screening at a time. So only one audience in the entire world is watching it at any given time. And, uh, they say that it will only play in theaters and will not become available on DVD, on demand, or streaming. So, uh why is this a problem Lauren? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, to preface this with I I think that sometimes I at least or maybe this podcast sometimes comes off as like being we hate theaters or something like that. Not true at all. I I think that theaters have theaters are great. Theaters can be wonderful. One of the things that I really miss personally right now is movie theaters. I have not felt comfortable going back to movie theater yet and that's, that's me. I understand that other people have, and that's also great. Um, the issue with something like this, I think, is it's not, honestly, for me, it is not the we're gonna have this as a traveling roadshow kind of thing. I think that that's you know, a, a reasonable distribution strategy, especially for a film that is not gonna be a big blockbuster, right? This isn't even really going to be a, a major sleeper hit, particularly. It's from an important filmmaker but this is not, this is a slow movie, this is a two and a half hour long film. Um, You know, This is not something that is going to be a major cineplex thing, right? It never was. The issue though with saying, whether or not they follow through on this is, is an open question, but the issue with saying, it's never gonna be released on physical media, it's never going to be released on streaming is that it essentially says, okay, Only certain people are going to be allowed to see this movie, and at least initially, it's going to be people in major cities, right? It's starting out in New York and Los Angeles, Um, you know, probably going to places like Chicago, Boston. You know, it will wind up in smaller cities and, and in art cinemas. But the the fact that you're essentially saying that that a lot of people are just never never going to have the option even. And one of the things that came out um, on on Twitter and in the New York Times and on a number of websites was this sort of defense of this as like, well, people, it it was very quietly elitist because it was like, well, but but the people who will actually go to see this movie are going to get a chance to see it. Which essentially says that like, you know, people who live in, in more rural areas or outside of major metropolitan areas generally would never want to see it, um, and and it is that kind of elitist closing off of a of film. Like you know, you're you're essentially saying that not only do you not want to see this film, but you're you're basically not allowed to, right? You are not allowed to have access to it, uh, and and that's really that's really disappointing. That's a disappointing attitude to take, and it's so limiting in um, in in understanding what cinema actually is.
1: And to further drive home the elitist point, this, I did just check, and yes, this is Columbia's official submission for the Academy Awards. And, because it takes place in in Columbia, it was, um, it's actually a Colombian film. It's not a Thai film. And um, it's, if it's going to be under consideration by the academy that means they have to make streaming they have to put it on the academy streaming platform which oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it will be available
0: to stream just not just to not normal you.
1: people <laughs> right mm-hmm. yeah i i thought you'd you'd love that little uh little extra twist of the knife so yeah no i agree with what you said i mean i think that I think that rolling this out in such a way is interesting. And I think that for a time, it could be kind of fun, especially if they were going to take it into places that don't normally get these kinds of experiences. Like this is, this tends to, these limited releases tend to be limited um, to Chicago, Los Angeles, New York um, film festivals, that kind of thing. So if they were going to include... You know, like, when I, I've i I've been to film festivals, I've gotten to talk to people who run repertory theaters in, like, Oklahoma and stuff. And a couple years ago, Parasite was their biggest movie in this little town in Oklahoma. So it's like, if they were going to include places like that on this tour, I think that would be actually kind of cool. For a while. And then eventually, you need to put this out so people at home can watch it. Because to just make it like, well, if you didn't get to see it during that week that it was in your town... Too bad you never get to see this movie. Yeah,
0: it just, it's just—it's the idea of making a film unavailable.
1: Yes, yeah. that's,
0: that's that's the problem. So, I, and I think that even um, a, a critic on Twitter, um, Carlos. I'm I'm sorry, Carlos. I apologize if I butcher your name. Agu- Aguilar.
1: Aguilar. Uh,
0: Aguilar. Okay, sorry.
1: <laughs> I, <apologize. laughs> I love Carlos. He's great. He's my yeah. Friend.
0: He he's he's great, and um, and he pointed out that even within cities like L.A. and New York where art house theaters are located Mm -hmm. um is in very affluent especially very white neighborhoods right so actually being able to get to the art house cinema in order to see the film is in itself a a, an elitist statement right saying Mm -hmm. like well you know but it's playing in new york it's like yeah but it's not playing in the bronx it's not playing in brooklyn it's you know it's maybe playing at bam um but it's playing in manhattan it's paying it's playing in downtown you know it's it's in these spaces where rich white people can go um but maybe not poor black people uh maybe not poor thai people you know all, all kinds of, so poor people generally mm-hmm. and so there's an accessibility issue that isn't just about it's playing in la it's playing in new york it's playing in in chicago but who is able to access that within that time frame right? right yeah and and that's that's a problem in itself and i know a lot of a lot of critics who are defending this decision are saying well it's really more of an art installation than it is a film it's like well first of all it is a film
1: mm-hmm. it's made as
0: a film this is not an art installation at moma um so that's a different thing and one of the things that drives me crazy about a lot of this about the, a lot of the dialogue that's gotten going about theatrical the theatrical experience is that it's essentially saying that a certain group of people get to decide who gets to see what films and that is elitism. So you're taking this supremely democratic medium. I mean film is one of the most accessible mediums in the world because it's you can you can duplicate it um you do not have to speak the language that the film is made in in order to understand it or in order to see it um it is almost immediately accessible if you own a television set if you are able to go to a theater if you own a computer all those things it's so much more accessible to a, a large swath of people and that's been true since the formation of cinema that's been true since cinema became cinema it is it was cheap it was something that the masses got to go see and to try to turn any film and that includes art house cinema that includes avant-garde cinema um into something that is exclusive just seems antithetical to the purpose of film
1: yeah i mean one of the things that that has always driven me crazy it's been better since I've lived in areas where I don't have to travel so far or with the rise of streaming as well but it's like you know I mean I grew up only 35 or so miles from LA but in the 80s that was forever you know and like even in the 90s when I had my license and stuff it was like my parents wouldn't let me just drive off to LA you know so it was like there were so many movies I didn't get to see and then when I lived in you know I went to school up in Utah and it was like there was one art house theater in salt lake that i had to trek to if i wanted to see certain things because it felt like the art house movies were relegated to these far off hard to access places because the big theaters didn't want them because they weren't going to make a lot of money and now this idea that that's the only way that certain films because if this is successful mark my words others will try to do this too and that's just, why Why would you go to the effort and time to make a film only to limit how many people you'll let see it? I just, I don't understand that. If you're an artist, yeah. you want people to experience your art.
0: Yeah, and, and it, it, at the end of the day, it is elitism. It's saying that only certain people get to experience certain kinds of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it comes down to is that you have to live in the right place and you have to have enough money and enough time to be able to experience that art. And I'm not saying that, you know, uh, right now I'm in upstate New York. I'm not saying that this film is going to be, would be at the cineplex in my hometown, right? right. But there are people here that are, that are perfectly capable of watching this film and la- and maybe liking it, but you're essentially saying that they're not even allowed to experience it. They're not allowed the option of experiencing it. Um, and that's that's where the problem lies. So yeah, I. I find the defense of these, of this idea really problematic. And like you say, this isn't, I think some of it is is that it isn't just about this one particular film. It's about the implications that this has for other films. Mm-hmm. And, you know, theater going generally has become a lot more elitist even before the pandemic um, because of the price of, of film tickets, because of the amount of energy that has to be expended in order to go see movies. And so you've got that paired with, you know, the rise of streaming where people are having this constant kind of pushing back and forth. And I think that that's what's happening. We're seeing this desire for, for exclusivity. It's like, well, nothing is exclusive in film anymore because you can obtain so much just sitting at home. Right. And I think that there are certain people um, who really want that exclusivity. They want to be reassured that they are experiencing something that no one else is allowed to experience
1: exactly uh okay so um let's move on to other things that are more fun (laughs) things that are available to the masses thanks to very available (laughs) (laughs) so available thanks to the rise of streaming services imagine that um and other things but uh, yeah it's it's not difficult to find um horror films in general cinemas. So, I love that. Um, sorry, I have a barking dog outside my window. I, I have a lawnmower, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. You're upstate. I was like, wait, yeah. how are, who's, what lawn are they mowing? <laughs> <laughs> there are lawns here. It's amazing. <laughs> so remarkable. All right. Anyway, so, um, yeah. Well, let's actually, before we go into the main conversation, I would actually like to address our question that we got right off the top because i think it's a fun one and it's a good way to kind of get into the spirit of this so we got a question from at paula fangirls what's a horror movie that hasn't been remade shouldn't be remade and if it were to be remade who should star in it for me that's rosemary's baby and if it were remade then uh can it have margot robbie
0: i really like that idea i do too Um, i i agree it shouldn't be remade um it's it's a but it, it is a book it was originally a book so there's no reason why it couldn't be readapted mm-hmm. um yeah i i like the idea of of margot robbie in that part i think she'd be great
1: i think so too i think she'd be really good really really good yeah <laughs> any others come to mind
0: i was trying to think about this because i realized that the ones that i kept on landing i was like no i actually i think that that has been remade like psycho i was mm-hmm. like no that's been remade no it should not have been remade <laughs> i mean i don't want
1: to acknowledge (laughs) the remake of poltergeist but
0: uh that was the other one i thought it was like
1: oh poltergeist like oh
0: that's right it was remade and that was a bad idea so (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah i i kind of want to come back to this because i want to keep on thinking about it but um uh the other one that i that came to mind was halloween and i was like nope that is also been remade and kind of remade I mean, and technically not they're all
1: sequels but yeah
0: so i i don't i mean i don't know the rob zombie
1: films is that not
0: a remake
1: i don't think so i think those are also okay. um part of like i think they're so, they're also technically sequels sort of sequels okay yeah nightmare mm-hmm. on
0: elm street has been remade should not have been mm-hmm. remade <laughs> one what? of the ones i
1: thought of was don't look now oh that's a good one but i can't think of who i would want starring in it that's the only thing that's a good one yeah um they should not remake the exorcist no (laughs) um yeah gosh oh there was another one that i had in my mind and now i can't think of what it was
0: i was about to say dracula and i was like no that's not don't say that <laughs> don't say those words that's a t- <laughs> what <laughs> um i've been watching yeah. a lot of dracula
1: movies recently well, a lot of vampire films that's great i love it yeah uh i don't know yeah we can we can revisit this again think of somewhere on it but i love that question it's a good one all right so what we wanted to do we've we talked last year about the sort of a general like broad history of of horror but we wanted to talk a little bit more this week about how horror as a genre has evolved and how it reflects the way our culture changes over time and uh not just like like, and, and that means a lot of different things, you know, the way people, like, what people as a society are afraid of, you know, like, it used to be, um, you know, <laughs> like, it used to, <laughs> my words are failing because it's Saturday morning, Um, but, you know, like, in the 50s, the 40s and the 50s, you had, like, this fear of nuclear war and stuff, yeah. so you had the rise of, like, these radio radioactive monsters and stuff like that, and then, you know there's there's fear of war there's fear of the other there's fear of Mm -hmm. you know climate change there's you know all these all these things that as as society picks something new to be afraid of (laughs) then the themes of our horror films change to reflect that so uh so that's what we want to talk about today um and i'm not sure like how far back do you want to go because we've talked about a lot of different things so where would you like to start on this
0: yeah i i mean i think that a a good place to start and this was something that we had talked about briefly on on slack um was uh was this whole idea of kind of the if you're talking about the evolution of horror sort of the shift of what people find frightening right mm-hmm. and you can see that i think over the course of film history and you could go i mean we can go all the way back to the earliest horror yeah. films if we want to but um one of the things that Uh, and this might simply be because i've been watching a lot of the universal horror films recently so so universal horror um kind of begins to pick up in the pre-code eras this is sound film but just post silent right um and before the code really begins to be enforced and what you what you see a lot of is um war trauma and that's one of the things that, that is, is coming out of it. So uh, I recently rewatched *The Black Cat*, for instance. And one of the things I I hadn't really noticed—it's amazing because I've seen this film numerous times—but I hadn't really paid attention to it. Was I just that... watched that, by the way. Oh, awesome! I watched it this week. <laughs> yeah. But so, what I find really interesting is that a lot of it is about war, right? It's about mm-hmm. these two men, played by Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, who are um, who who were both involved in world war one and one of them was captured and imprisoned Um, another one was basically sold out the the austrians to to the russians Um, and so there's this kind of leaveover of trauma and particularly of death this whole idea of a house being built on the site of this notorious prison or this notorious fortress where where literally and they talk about it constantly where thousands of men died so it's built on the corpses of these these soldiers right and there are a lot of films from that period that are dealing either directly or indirectly with this the aftermath of trauma and and it's particularly in reference to to world war one you think about it this film was made in what it was made in 32 33 something like that 34 Mm -hmm. so it's about you know, 15 years really after World War One. So this is not that far in the past, right? Um, and and so you have these films that are that are dealing with it. You also have films um, from the same period who are dealing with things like man-made monsters, um, and that's something that you know keeps on coming back. There's not a lot of the of real supernatural, right, in the sense that you know ghosts coming out of the grave kind of thing. Um, there is a lot of monsters that are that are constructed by science that are created by science and that um, are kind of a response to the generational trauma and the repression of that trauma that a lot of people have experienced from you know the time of world war one all the way through to the
1: 1930s Mm -hmm. yeah um something else that you and i were talking about also kind of in this time frame maybe a little bit later was this need for um like the, the supernatural to have a, a natural ex- explanation yeah of like ghosts not really being ghosts which you, which was basically what all of scooby-doo was based on yeah <laughs> um, Uh, which is also another interesting thing like you have these things that you're afraid of that seem supernatural but there's always this real explanation for it and something that therefore can be stopped
0: yeah and also something also it's this this understanding of of like i say the man made monster the, the the thing that is the evil that is not coming from an external source right a ghost or a um you know and dracula in some ways is a is an exception to the so is the mummy but even when it comes to something like um like dracula and the mummy they have to have human agency to work through uh the mummy has to be awakened by basically the efforts of science
1: right
0: um dracula has to be literally brought from transylvania to london Mm -hmm. uh in order for him to be to be successful so even when you have those moments of the supernatural um there's still the uh human action and very often human hubris right i'm not afraid of vampires i'm not afraid i'm not afraid of the mummy you know i should desecrate the tomb (laughs) um in the name of science it's the same thing with something like frankenstein so you've got a lot of films that either completely disavow the existence of the supernatural they like say and, and providing these kind of human explanations that are then stoppable um which is which makes a lot of sense given the the, the idea of post-war because you, you're talking about these horrors that have been visited upon humanity and they're all man-made this is not something that you know came sprung fully formed from the earth this is something that human beings did to each other Mm -hmm. um and it's similar when you look at those monsters this is something that human beings do to each other and there's a lack of respect for uh the nature of evil there's there's a lack of respect for even uh, you know in something like the mummy or dracula there's a lack of respect for the supernatural that this is not real Right. And so I can, I can fuck with it as much as I want to.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which is why it's really interesting. And obviously this is skipping over some time and we can come back to it, but it's really interesting where as you, as you look at, so you've got the exactly what you're talking about, these more science based um, films, especially in the uh, into the forties and fifties. But that did start in the thirties. Frankenstein was 1931. Yeah. and then uh, it, as you move into the 70s and 80s, it becomes the complete opposite. It becomes like r- really supernaturally based where you have movies like The Exorcist and then even yeah. even like the rise of slasher films. Like then you've got these monsters that can't be killed. <laughs> you know, you've well, got, Michael keeps coming back. Jason yeah. keeps coming back
0: exactly it's it's an interesting kind of flip of the you know the man-made monster it's basically like the supernatural man right mm-hmm. um so so michael is a really excellent example i think because you're like he's human right, right. where we're like he was born um he he's he's you know psychopathically insane <laughs> um mm-hmm. but he takes on especially throughout the first halloween film and then definitely into the sequels he takes on this like larger than life status he becomes supernatural yeah right and you're like he can't be killed he can't be shot he can't be stabbed he keeps on returning you think that he's dead and he stands up again and you get something similar in in texas chainsaw massacre you get it definitely get it in like slightly later nightmare on elm Street um Friday the 13th you know the these monsters that are human but become almost ghost like become mm-hmm. the or vamp or vampiric they keep on coming back right um and so it's kind of a, a flip of the of the concept of human beings making monsters it's basically monsters becoming human or mo- or uh men becoming supernatural
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah And in that time, we also, like, we've got a couple of different things happening with horror, because at the same time, we've got the the Satanic Panic, which was so fun in the 80s. Like, the number of times I was convinced I was going to, like, get kidnapped and sacrificed, or my cat was going to get stolen, or, (laughs) you know, it was just just like you know it's
0: interesting because when i grew up i had no awareness of the satanic panic it wasn't until like fairly recently that i began you know like reading about it. i was like oh this was actually a thing oh it was like a this thing. was real yeah. people believed uh-huh. this shit you know? oh yeah
1: yeah like i remember you know just as a kid i remember there was a time where like all these animals in our neighborhood were supposedly missing it was like no they started a cat gang and they were hanging out in our backyard but (laughs) but it was like (laughs) that was a real thing that happened but um but yeah like there it just it was so common like you couldn't go you couldn't watch the news without there being some possible like new connection to like this new sa- satanic ring or this cults or or whatever and it was just very um like yeah that that was legitimate and i remember it 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 was so weird and the movies reflect that and sometimes in very uh very overt ways and other times more subtle um like uh i mean one of my earliest experiences with horror films and i've talked about this a lot was poltergeist which yeah is not just a ghost story in a house like there's there's a whole lot happening there and especially if you look at um poltergeist 2 which gets even more into this it's about these people that are following this cult leader basically and into their deaths and that was how they kind of ended up underneath the house that eventually the Freeling family would move into and um but what was so frightening about poltergeist in particular is that it was set in the suburbs and therefore mm-hmm. could take place anywhere
0: well and, and it seems to be attached to so in the 80s and 90s you have this white flight right yeah from, from the cities into the suburbs mm-hmm. so um there are films that kind of take place sort of the urban plight concept right? right and uh and films like candyman are very much centered in in that in that concept you know gang gang warfare violence mm-hmm. um the dangerousness of the city but something like poltergeist essentially says that you know that flight that that fleeing is you cannot run you can't you can't run away from it basically right um you're actually you know, Basically, making incursions into uh, get a, a sacred space, right? Mm-hmm. So the the suburbs that are built on, you know, it's cliche, but are built on the ancient Indian burial ground, right? Um, and that that's it's that repressed and that buried and that deconstructed world that is exploding underneath the house and eventually turning into um this this source of horror so and and it seems like the satanic panic is very similar a lot of it seems to be centered on um the suburbs right the safe Mm -hmm. the safe space right the place where the affluent white people went to to be protected but the fear of course is that even that space is not safe um that you can't run away from it and and i think that a lot of this uh, and i've used the term return of the repressed a lot and i, I don't think all horror is return of the repressed but all, there there is definitely an argument to me that a lot of it is i think that a lot of horror does represent um i i think this is something that is accepted i don't want to sound like that this is something i just made up um this is <laughs> this is an accepted viewpoint about horror uh that that horror is representative of the terrors of the mainstream and um and that that takes all kinds of forms so the terror of science um what science is capable of and what science might be capable of in the wrong hands and that's where you get those monsters of the 30s and 40s again you're thinking about a time period where we've seen men gassed and uh and then when you get into the 40s you see you see auschwitz and um again the violence that human beings visit on each other when you get a little bit later uh you're talking about um this stuff like the satanic panic and um slashers and stuff like this so this violence that is kind of erupting in these spaces that we consider to be very safe
1: Haddonfield
0: right. Haddonfield is small town America
1: mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. this
0: very safe space but it has harbored this monster yeah that has come back to take revenge against it and we're not entirely certain why just because he's crazy Just because he's a monster and that's
1: what he does which when there's no motive that makes it scarier
0: i yes yes and no i think that yeah particularly in the 70s and 80s we begin to get this this like we can't solve this problem Mm
1: -hmm.
0: this is not you know we can't appease some michael we're not going to be able to appease him right right we're not gonna be able to say well this is what you wanted and now you can rest it's just like no what he wants is to murder people that's all that he does yep um, and to and to scare people too like part of michael's behavior is is uh, sadistic right yeah. it isn't just he wants to go around stabbing human uh, other human beings he wants to frighten them first
1: mm-hmm. yeah exactly that's part of the thrill but what's interesting is even though we don't talk about it in the same terms anymore a lot of films even being made more today still fit into the satanic panic mode because we've got all these exorcism films and we just look at them in a different way like the conjuring movies are about exorcisms you know (laughs) um then you've got stuff like the exorcism of emily rose and and these other types of films where it's really about uh oftentimes an inadvertent accidental victim allowing the devil to get inside which is such a um like, i mean i can remember very clearly having you know these really serious conversations especially like in church and stuff when i was younger about like how you have to protect yourself at all times and that like the devil could just you know take over and it's just like uh, no it doesn't work that way <laughs> uh,
0: no you're only in danger if you're catholic like i, I have to say you <laughs> do watch any of those movies it's only catholics that get possessed so yes. as long as you're not catholic you're good you're good no problem especially like if, if you're outside judeo-christianity period like you're fine you're fine muslim no one who's muslim ever gets possessed like you you don't have that's something you do not need to worry about.
1: right <laughs> right exactly but i mean it, it is still something that that is happening today um yeah. and and it does tend to you know affect unwitting victims
0: yeah it, it's it's the well it's the innocence corrupted kind of thing yeah. That's that's what the exorcist does and that's what's so horrifying about about that film in a lot of ways and what was so groundbreaking about it um is that you've got this totally innocent little girl who hasn't done anything she hasn't been you know her mother hasn't done anything either there's no reason for this to happen to her per se right within right. the context of the film it just happens she's in she's basically she's in the wrong place at the wrong time and and again i think that it does feed into that that lack of certainty that lack of a moral universe and particularly when you're talking about anything that's happening post-world war ii Mm -hmm. um there's this imbalance it's essentially saying that you know what there is such evil there's such the potential for evil whether it is humanity doing evil to each other or whether it is the concept of a supernatural force and evil doesn't discriminate evil doesn't decide you know you're an innocent child therefore right um you're fine right or and and there are a lot of films that are about evil being done to the bad people right the the um the immoral Mm -hmm. uh and that's one of the criticisms of a lot of slasher films is that it's this indulgence in kind of a weird sort of morality um uh particularly when it comes to women particularly when it comes to sex we we to talk about patriarchal issues up one side and down the other but i will not bring that up right now but so evil evil doesn't really discriminate and i think that we're seeing that a lot more in in a lot a lot of contemporary horror that evil is something that simply is and you can't escape it you can't fix it you can't appease it right um one of the things that the conjuring films actually do is to say you can fix it. You can, good can win. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that's really reassuring about those films um, is that they're scary, but you know that the Warrens are going to triumph.
1: Right. Yeah. Like you may not be able to see how. It may seem impossible, but you know they're going to. Absolutely. But one thing that I find interesting about um, just moving into more present day horror films is that so many of the newer films that we're seeing now are starting to really, um, really look at social justice in any way that reflects kind of more of our world too, you know, and that, I won't say it started with get out, but that definitely was one of the big notable examples of that, where the enemy, the villain, the, the, the terror in that movie is privileged white people who say all the right things and and seem like they're, you know, safe people, but they're not because for black people in America, there's there's never been a safe place. And <laughs> you mean we're the baddies? We are very much the <laughs> villains. <laughs> uh, I don't. I'm not laughing because that's funny. I'm laughing because no. like uh, it's hard to have to admit that about yourself, but yeah. Um, and, and that's what that movie really drives home and it, there's no there's no safe place for for black people in get out because that's just very reflective of the world and so and and what was interesting about get out is how that was one of the few horror films that really rises to the level of getting you know awards recognition and really uh, what, what I found ironic about that is I think a lot of the people, who were praising that film so much didn't realize that they were the villains of that movie they, they were the bradley whitford character yeah basically. it's just exactly. like you know i
0: would have i would have voted for obama again like yeah yeah, yeah. and
1: it's and it's like how many people do we know that have actually <laughs> said those words unironically
0: <laughs> so. well yeah and and i i think that horror has always had that you know and we've mm-hmm. talked before about queerness and about and this whole idea of the return of the repressed the repressed being monstrous right right but in some ways enacting real vengeance on a society that refuses to acknowledge them uh what's happening i think with films like get out or black christmas um or uh you mentioned fear street candy man the new Candyman mm-hmm. film um all of those are pretty or not in a way too yeah exactly all of those are are a lot of are not all of them a lot of them are creators so women people of color um black people especially taking basically the structure of a of very you know very recognizable structure of films so get out is actually pretty pretty basic concept right mm-hmm. um going into it and then jordan peele does something really different with it but what is different is the fact that this is being told from the perspective of for lack of a better term for, of the other of the non-white non-mainstream figure who is saying like the true monstrosity is white people it's the true monstrosity in black christmas are white men right the true yeah. the true monstrosity in in candy is systemic racism and in some ways it, it's it's kind of a palliative to to white audiences who are just like ah oh, yes well i understand this and i mean we're even we're two white women talking about this
1: mm-hmm.
0: um but what is so good about those is that you actually have these creators who are taking control of that narrative and saying like the monster is not the black man it is not the repressed it is the
1: mainstream that represses yeah exactly and and it's it's interesting watching the reactions that people have to that, you know, get out was an example where people just really flocked to that movie and loved it. And I, I suspect part of that reason is because they didn't want to be the ones that were the bad guys in that movie. And so embracing it was kind of them, uh, distancing themselves from the Bradley Whitford character. Like, Oh no, I wouldn't be that guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I know people that would, you know, yeah. Um, but then you see movies like uh, Fear Street, which had a uh, it was it was pretty well received by a lot of people who were not white men. Yes, you know. Same with Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and and so it's yeah. like that's what that's what we're seeing now is like um, a lot of these these like you know the older films where essentially the quote unquote other is sort of the the bad guy like that that's what to be feared even if that's not the point of the movie that's how a lot of those were received frankenstein is terrifying frankenstein mm-hmm. is the monster in that movie even though he is the victim yeah <laughs> and
0: well and and ultimately frankenstein must be destroyed right i think that that's one of the things and none none of those films from that period make the case that the monster should
1: should win exactly
0: it's always the monster must be destroyed even though a lot of the time even though they may criticize the behavior of of the representatives of the mainstream right Mm -hmm. still the monster still has to be destroyed in order for the world to be safe again exactly um and maybe the mainstream has learned a lesson from this (laughs) like right. not release not creating you know monsters out of dead bodies not uh you know releasing mummies but even if they've learned a lesson from that the monster still has to be destroyed the problem I, that i think a lot of, of people within the mainstream have with films like get out or um more 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 like Candyman or uh i i said black christmas black christmas i think mm-hmm. is a great example of it oh yeah is that when the monster is the mainstream you have to be willing to accept that you are part of the thing that must be destroyed yeah exactly um and that's what kind of provokes this this backlash this reaction to like well it's too on the nose it's just like yeah you know what else is too on the nose night of the living dead night of the (laughs) living dead is really on the nose but you love that movie because i think because you're distanced enough from it and you you are able to be like well but i'm not the zombie right Right. i'm not i'm not even the the white male posse that shoots um that shoots the black man at the end of the film right i'm not that i'm not those people but when you get to something like black christmas it's like oh that's what i am and i'm not okay with that no it's too on the nose it's bad we don't like it Mm-hmm. right and and that's what we're seeing a lot more of and i think that that's what we saw with the reaction to candy man with the reaction some of the reactions to to fear street and not everyone is reacting like that obviously but there is definitely this just like oh you're telling me things about myself that i don't like and so rather than actually dealing with that um i mean Candyman's telling me things about being a white person that i don't like but mm-hmm. i also understand that they're true right i don't want them to be true i but i know that they are and i know that that is something that i have to to deal with as as a white person in america Mm -hmm. um you know i really wish that there were more people who would who would look at something like black christmas in the same way and say that is what masculinity is in america and that's not okay and i have to deal with the fact that i'm a part of that
1: yeah you know the the Black Christmas the latest remake of it yeah. is what we're talking about um that's another film sort of like Ghostbusters i feel like if it were released just a couple years later the reception would have been much different
0: yeah it's similar with like jennifer's body yeah Um, same thing you know and we're going through this this huge reinvigoration of oh jennifer's body is actually great like yeah it's on the criterion
1: channel now it is it's a miracle
0: it is i think we're gonna get something similar with black christmas um as uh, you know and and even more recently i've seen people say like hey this is actually a really good movie Mm -hmm. and it's just like yes you think that there might have been something else going on when when people were reacting to it
1: exactly well and i think that's you know just to bring it back to what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks just sort of re yeah re-examining how criticism works with genre and and stuff and i think that's one thing that i try to like in my in my real life when i talk to people who have various opinions about film critics and and what it is that we do i try to i try to, encourage people to Read lots of different critics, not just the ones that seem to fit their worldview, but, you know, lots of different people just so that you can get kind of an idea. So if everyone, not everyone, because almost nothing has a zero percent, but, um, you know, if, if, the, if there tends to be a lot of people that are saying this movie is good or this movie is bad, look at who's saying that. Really, really take a look at um, what communities are uh praising or or um disparaging a film and that can tell you a lot about it you know like with Candyman, i did read a couple of of white critics as i wanted to hear why they didn't like it but i also wanted to hear from a couple of black critics of why they didn't like it either and ones that did you know and it really helps give you a, a broader um understanding of the the film the story how like lots of different ways that it can be interpreted but also the very different uh, um, experiences that people have had in their lives as well that that mm-hmm. filter movies you know like cuz we all filter it through our own experiences so just read a lot of critics is what i'm saying especially us
0: yeah just <laughs> <gonna> try to <laughs> try to write more well yeah i i think that that's i think that that's important particularly now when we do have these these creators who are taking control of the narrative mm-hmm. um and that's not saying you know nia da costa should not should not be the only black woman to speak for black women in horror right right should, it should not just be candy man right it should not just be get out um it should not just be black christmas but um i having more critics actually talking about these very diverse creators none of whom should be taken as the sole representative of their their race their ethnicity their gender their sexuality whatever um having more having more people actually being able to weigh in on that and say like this is what i thought worked this is what i thought didn't i i did read a number of, of black critics who did not like Candyman, mm-hmm. um, usually for different reasons and that's what i found interesting about that that a lot of what they were pinpointing were things that didn't actually have anything to do with um the 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 racial commentary going on right but about the length of the film or the structure of it or things like that so they were more focused on that whereas there were there were a lot more white critics who were like well i I don't like what this movie is saying it was just like yeah no shit i mean i wouldn't i don't either (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it shouldn't be like this right but it is
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so um any final thoughts before we move on to what we've been watching
0: not really i mean i think that there's a lot that we could say uh but i i do think it's you know it it, to bring back to some of the things we're talking about in criticism when we are critiquing films like this especially when we're critiquing older films you know really think about the context Mm -hmm. the, the cultural context you know so if you're talking about a film like the mummy from 1931, or like Candyman from 2021, you know what's the context that these films are coming out in? Because if you look at, it, I mean, if you look at Candyman in the context of the current conversation about racial violence and police violence and systemic racism, it's a very that's a that's a very different film than if you're simply talking about it as a film. Um, and particularly horror is about what we fear yeah and and it can be what the mainstream fears what our culture fears generally and it can be about what specific people fear that's what so uh, that's what i thought was so great about candyman is that it is about it puts it puts the viewer in the position of the black person experiencing systemic racism you know regardless and i have a different experience of it because i'm a white person um but it forces you to take that perspective and understanding that i think is very important
1: yeah definitely thank you so with that in mind what have you been watching lately (laughs) (laughs) oh speaking of so this is perfect segue (laughs) i just saw
0: the film slacks
1: oh tell me more which i
0: i don't want to spoil it but it is definitely applicable to what we have just been discussing okay um and you would not necessarily expect that from a film that is about a pair of killer jeans (laughs) that tries to murder a whole bunch of people um in an upscale like fashion boutique (laughs) uh and but it's it's really good and and honestly this had come up a couple of times um in various people that i know had been talking about it and i was like oh i've seen that on shutter like i'll give it a shot it's like oh it's a silly sort of you know it's 77 minutes long uh it's like oh it's a silly like killer jeans movie okay you know i watched i saw rubber that's about a murderous tire i would love to see a movie about jeans murdering people and then it, it does have a third act it's, it's not a turn because it's set up very well. And it's in some ways you kind of can see where, where the film is going, but I'm really glad that it went there. Um, And that it actually, it made a very conscientious choice about what this was really about and manages, I think to balance out the sort of inherent humor of a movie about a killer pair of jeans. Um, And, and the, the actual commentary that it's, it's making. Uh, So I I do recommend it. That's on Shutter, you know, so you could watch it. It's like I say, 77 minutes long. Even if you hate it, you haven't spent that much
1: time with that. Nice. Nice. Well, last night I watched, I actually, I actually put this out on uh, Twitter as a poll because I was just like, my house might be haunted or there might be someone hiding out in the attic. Should I watch the movie, there's someone inside your house? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you did because, i did of course because why didn't. wouldn't i yeah and it actually ended up not freaking me out as much as i thought it would so it's a new net it's a new netflix film and it's uh actually this goes kind of along with uh i don't want to spoil how but it also goes along with what we've been just talking about as far as modern films and, and social justice and stuff so it's um it's about this this uh killer who's stalking this high school in a small town um killing kids but like the you know he has it's a masked killer but his mask is the face of whoever he's about to murder ooh i yeah. like that yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yep and um it's pretty freaky and so the the main girl is uh this girl who's just recently moved to town after some sort of, um, bad thing that happened in her own past. And again, I don't want to say too much, but, um, it's, they, they use, they make a connection there. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely cheesy. Um, and I don't know that I would say it's like a great, great film, but it's a lot of fun. It actually kind of had Fear Street vibes to it. As far as like the tone and stuff, it sort of sort of feels like a CW style, but like a movie. So it was fun, it was entertaining. It's on Netflix. You can watch it.
0: <laughs> I I also that that actually sounds sounds fun. I've been you know, sometimes you just want like I just want something that's kind of light, kind of it doesn't have to be great, just sort of entertaining, you know. Yeah, and I think this would be that for you. Um the other one that i wanted to, to shout out just because you you told me to watch this movie i think for at least two years <laughs> uh i finally saw lake bodum yay I, which i i enjoyed a great deal and i kind of i was sort of like something else is going on here but i definitely did not know what that something else was <laughs> and so and i'm not going to spoil it i'm just going to say that it's it's good um, I really like where the film went. And, mm-hmm. and I like the fact that there are a lot of scares, even post kind of that, the, the turn that it takes. I like the fact that it, it like really relied on those scares. It is disturbing. Like I was definitely coming to the end of it I was like, oh God, I'm like really creeped out right now by all of this, <laughs> but, um, but I, I really liked it. I especially enjoyed it because one of my good friends from uh, college is Finnish and i used to you know overhear her talking on the phone with her family and things like that and i learned a lot of finnish swear words (laughs) as a result and so there were numerous times in this film where they they were shouting something and i was like i know that word i know that word (laughs) that's Uh, awesome so yeah mia mia if you have not seen this movie you probably know the story behind it but uh you know definitely definitely see it because it's a good finnish (laughs) horror film it's very bleak Yes, um, but in in that very
1: Finnish way that almost makes it like
0: it's bleak, but it's also kind of funny.
1: Yep, <laughs> I'm so glad you finally watched it. I knew you would love yeah. that one. I knew it, so I'm so excited. Yes, it was good. I definitely had to be in the mood for it, but uh, yeah, I I did like it. Yeah, well, one thing I was I was going to mention is that AMC, uh, for as much as I get frustrated with the way that they do things, and I think that um they really need to just go back to hiring projectionists and not just press play button in the booth. Um, but, uh, one thing that they're doing this month is, um, playing some older horror films. And then they're doing these like secret secret screenings too, which are kind of fun. But last Saturday I went to a double feature of Dracula and Frankenstein both the 1931 films. So the Todd Browning and James Whale films. and Which I had never seen on the big screen before. And this is this just goes back to like, yeah, we love the theatrical experience too. You know? Streaming should also be available. But it was really fun to go back and, and see these movies up on the big screen. Dracula didn't project very well. Um, that one has really just kind of degraded at least the the version that they showed us but frankenstein looked incredible and um yeah it was just it was fun to to sit in a theater with a small audience that was very distanced (laughs) and um you know laugh and and gasp and stuff at, at all the right places so that was a lot of fun and they're doing another one on the 30th which is um the wolfman and the invisible man so i might yeah so i might go to that one too and then in between they're also doing these like secret screenings where you pay five bucks and you don't know what movie they're going to show you so i am gonna do one of those this week i think and just kind of see what happens so that's cool yeah
0: that's cool yeah i'd love to i i haven't gotten to see either one of those on a on a big screen i definitely would love to see that
1: yeah it was really fun if you get the chance at any point, I I recommend it. So. I
0: I know that they're doing. They're actually doing this series at MoMA. They're doing. I think. S- some if not all of the universal horror films fun um def- definitely i think that my choices would be like bride of frankenstein maybe, yeah i wish some yeah. Of those, yeah i wish
1: they had done frankenstein and bride of frankenstein as the double feature but i get they were going for the like 90th anniversary thing and that's why yeah they did that. dracula and frankenstein yeah, yeah which is and, crazy those are 90 years old <laughs> <laughs> So and
0: so influential. I mean, uh-huh. like just those images are just ingrained in popular culture. Even if you've never seen the films. Oh yeah. They're just there. Like that's you can't escape them really. Right. Um Uh yeah, I, I, I do want to say that the the universal films that are currently on the Criterion channel are great. Um and especially if you've already seen frankenstein and the wolfman a creature from the black lagoon those those are there and they're great films but they also have like dr x which is a fucking bizarre movie (laughs) um and it's in it's in two strip technicolor so it's some of the weirdest coloring that you've ever seen like it's (laughs) very strange Nice. um the invisible man is is great uh the mummy i love the, the black, black cat. cat was good yeah yeah the black cat i meant to okay so before we close this i do want to ask like what did you think of the black cat because i just sort of talked about it but...
1: <laughs> uh i spent a lot of the movie going like i don't i don't understand what's going on and <laughs> i love that i don't <laughs> and even after i finished it i still was like did did i get that i don't know (laughs) i need to watch
0: it again (laughs) you have to watch it a second time to get it a lot of it actually rewatching, us like a lot of this is aesthetic this is Uh like i am convinced that the only reason why the karloff character is like a satan worshiper is because he's like (laughs) because it looks really cool like all of this stuff it's so creepy
1: yeah the the um the collection i'm trying to think how to say it without spoiling it but the collection in the glass cases yes. was like yes. wow that's that's a thing that is happening right now and i i love it it's great yes, it's so it's, creepy and weird and yeah it's very perverted um uh-huh.
0: yeah and, and i also like the fact that uh as spoiler I, I guess although it's pretty obvious from the beginning the lugosi character is actually more or less the good guy yeah um and and i
1: love the fact that which i was no, not expecting
0: no one trusts that he's the good guy like everyone else is just like oh you're trying to kill
1: us just like no i am literally trying to save your life i'm the one that's helping <laughs> you that's like, how i like, feel in my life like i'm trying to help people no yeah. you're evil okay right. it's, it's just like fine fine i'll be evil
0: jeez <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Oh no! It's not the creepy guy with the massive widow's peak <laughs> who is like built a home in the fortress on top of corpses. Like he- I'm definitely the bad one here. <laughs> Jesus!
1: Exactly. Yeah. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, it it mm. is a bizarre movie. I I do love it. Watch it. Watch it again because I I'm think that actually. To, yeah once you've seen it one time and then you see it a second time it's the plot the plot is a little obscure
1: Uh uh-huh.
0: um but it's it's definitely there there is actually a plot uh and also you just get to experience the grand aesthetic of boris karloff's mansion of sadism
1: <laughs> yeah which is that's that's a whole thing i was not prepared for and i was like this is amazing
0: <laughs> that's yeah that's the other thing I love, Car Carloff. So, like half the film, Karloff just like walks into a room and looks at people. He doesn't say anything. He's just standing there. You're like, um, you gonna you gonna do
1: something there, bud? Like, it's. I mean, that would so scare weird. me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, anyway, watch it. It's on Criterion. <laughs> All right. Anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap things up? no i i I do want to suggest to people
0: a number of people have said this on on twitter but i wanted to say it out loud as well go check out tubi there Uh are a lot of like very good horror films there there there's some that are not good uh but there are a lot of really good horror films that are just sitting there on tubi and and they're free to watch uh you do have to deal with uh commercial interruptions which sucks but still you get a lot of free horror movies
1: yeah, definitely. Also, you know, I just want to make another plug for Kino Cult, which mm-hmm. um, has just such a crazy mix of stuff. And it's really fun. They've got, you know, they've got like, I mean, it's cult movies. That's, that's what it is. And it's like, they've got a collection. I'm trying to find a list, um, but they have like a whole they have a collection of draw, draw, yeah they have a dry, uh, Mario Bava collection they've got like a whole thing of like drive-in hits yeah. um, they've got just so many just crazy stuff it's not all horror um, it's really just anything that kind of falls under the cult movie status but um, but they've got some great stuff too A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is there um, Dogtooth by Yorgos Lanthimos uh They've got some uh, vampire movies there, too. So, lots of different different stuff. So, check it out. Yeah. Alright. Yay for more movies! Like, last night, I was... When I ended up watching um, There's Someone Inside Your House, it was because I was just like, I have so many streaming services. I have literally thousands of movies I can choose from right now i don't know what to do <laughs> that's really
0: that's don't. the problem yeah mm-hmm. that's honestly one of the things i like about october is that i'm just like okay i'm just watching horror films so it at least narrows the choices yeah uh and because otherwise i may just start theming every single month so that i can, <laughs> like this is well not november right all right we're just watching film noirs so
1: that's all i have to worry about yeah you know my co-host for my other podcast he does that like He'll just kind of go, okay, this month I'm going to watch all the films by this director, you know, and he'll just mm-hmm. do that. Or like, I need to do a rewatch of, you know, Melissa McCarthy or whatever. <laughs> and um, I'm sure that's not when he's done, but uh, <laughs> maybe I'll ask him. But uh, yeah, like he'll he'll just do these themes and like, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on right now. And it may not take him a whole month, you know, it may take a few days, but he just kind of goes like in in groups like that it just helps him and i was like Mm -hmm. that's actually kind of a cool idea my problem is that then i go to screenings in the middle of all that stuff and then like today i'm gonna go see the new james bond movie because we're gonna review it on my other podcast you know (laughs) so it's like all right i'll go see it um and then like this week i saw the last duel which is the new Ridley scott movie which i'm still angry about like i was Fuming when I left the theater, you oh, know? God. And, and um, but and it's like I would much rather have I should have just stayed home and watched something else, you know, like Jennifer's Body. But uh, yeah. Anyway, but then I see great films in there too, like Flea, which is coming out in December, which mm-hmm. is just incredible. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So it's like it's when I just sit at home, like if I'm just choosing a movie at home, I can do that, but. I see so many different things all the time that, I don't know. Like, the other thing I watched last night was The Guilty, the new Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Which Uh is a remake of a Danish film, which is much better. (laughs) Like, just watch the original. Just read the subtitles. It's not that bad. This one was just not good.
0: Yeah, you're you're kind of reiterating what I've seen a number of people say. Which is a shame. I like Jake Gyllenhaal, but... yeah, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me somehow given the subject matter and as you said uh in our slack the setting.
1: Yeah, like this doesn't work in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. you know. And I know that they're trying to do it because it's like oh it's kind of like it's so big, it's hard to find someone because it's so you know so spread out and then they have this like fire happening in the background, which complicates things and makes emergency services harder to access. And it's like, okay, so that's the route they're trying to take to make this feel more um, plausible. But it's like that's not how 911 works. <laughs> <laughs> and that just drove me crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this this reminds me that one of my uh, one of my friends really hated the movie it's the robert redford film um where he's just on he like gets stranded on a boat mm-hmm. um and she hated it because she is uh she she is a boatist. she's a sailor she's done a lot of sailing It's just like no he would have this thing that would send a emergency signal because everyone has it like literally everyone has it there yeah, is no like reason you have why you're gonna have it yeah <laughs> and and it's and it just like well would it it's like no it would not there would be no way to avoid this and she was so <laughs> mad about that that like the rest
1: of the phone was just terrible for her so if you know some things just like this is not how it works that's the thing. Like, okay, 25 years ago, I got to sit in and listen. Like, we did a big tour of, of LAPD headquarters and stuff, and we actually got to sit and listen to 911 calls. And yes, I get that this was 25 years ago. Things have probably changed a little bit. But even I could write a more realistic 911 movie just based on that experience from when I was in high school. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Like, first of all, 911 operators work in a team. They're not cops that are not allowed to be cops. <laughs> like, you have to go through so much training and testing to be allowed on the 911 floor. Like <laughs> It just made me so mad. So anyway, don't watch that movie. Watch the original, which may also be equally ridiculous, but it's set in a different country. So I don't know. I'm just going to assume that it's accurate. <laughs> anyway. All right. That's really going to close things up. We would like to thank you all for listening because you are awesome. And um, one of us sometimes tends to ramble, and that person may really appreciate that you listen to my rambling. So, anyway. I was about to be like, hey, hey. <laughs> no, I can own it. I don't know what I'm talking about. And I just keep talking. You do obviously know what you're talking about. <laughs> thank um... you thank you very much all right but we especially would like to thank our patrons who are Adriana Ali Ether, James Kathleen Carriotta Mason Matt Michelle Monty, Nanina Robert Robert Steve Sharon Tao and Will thank you so much for supporting the show and helping us uh keep things going if you would like to join their number Um, there are some advantages to that you get episodes early we have bonus episodes and we promise they're coming Um, and you do that that's patreon.com slash citizen dame we are also we haven't chosen the date yet but this month we are going to do a citizen dame hosted online screening of a horror movie and um, I think we said we were going to try to work it out for the slumber party massacre was that right did I imagine that that was one of the things that we discussed yeah Yeah. anyway so we're we're talking about it we're going to figure out a date but it's going to be this month for halloween so we're pretty excited about that so uh if you want to make sure that you're invited join us at patreon.com slash citizen uh we also have our zazzle store zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and ko-fi ko-fi.com slash citizen if you would like to just tell us how awesome we are and um reach out to us, you can uh email us, citizendamepod at gmail We're also uh on the social medias. We have Twitter and Instagram is at citizendamepod and our letterboxed is at citizendame where we do have a list of horror films going. So lots of stuff to, to view. And what's cool about Letterboxed is you can actually sort any list by things like, um, what streaming service it's on. So if you want to look at our list of horror films and then go, okay, well I have Netflix or any of these on there. You can actually check Letterbox is so cool that way. And I love it. Um, and also we do have our website, citizendamepod.com, where we do have some reviews coming. I've got a review by the time you're listening to this, my review of mass is up, which is out this weekend. Um, I'm also going to be reviewing the last duel. So if you want to read take down a ridley scott movie because uh spoiler alert that's what i'm doing <laughs> um, i do <laughs> yeah so you can find that this week and lauren also has some nyff stuff that's going up and and lots of lots of fun things coming to the website so um so yeah be sure to check that out you can also find us individually on the social medias lauren where are you
0: i am on twitter and instagram and letterboxd at LH Business.
1: And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M Peterson. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Philip, it's a perfectly good brain, doctor. Well, you ought to know; it came from your own laboratory.
0: The brain that was stolen from my laboratory was a criminal brain.